Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, doing alongside Ian Hatcher. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm doing as good as usual. You know, it's never a bad time when you get the opportunity to talk some basketball. Uh, we've kind of been alluding to it these last few weeks. The season is starting to heat up. These games really, really matter. There's a couple of games this week that matter a whole lot for two teams in particular. Got to touch on that. And, and we've got some league news that we need to jump in to the NBA with and, and the first news is a bit sad uh, no one really expected this it, it definitely shocked me and, and it's extremely saddening and it, that is saying goodbye to who really is a legend LaMarcus Aldridge he's stepping away from the NBA after 15 years and more than 19,000 points scored he's stepping away after um, he realized in the last game that he played uh, he felt his heartbeat becoming a little bit irregular and a little bit erratic and then later that night after the game he he was willing to kind of just you know wait and see kind of approach but then as the night went on it became increase increasingly erratic and it scared him to the point where I mean he had to put his health before the game he loves he was sixth in active points or sixth in active players scoring at the time of his retirement I mean that is a huge accomplishment I don't think you know, for a long time during his career, people really realized what kind of a bucket he was. Anybody who played against him knew who he was. But just given his game and especially the way the style of the NBA transitioned over his last couple of years, his role in particular was one that was definitely diminished that of a, a low block kind of guy, a primary post player. But for me, as an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I might have a bit of a different attachment to him. No, he never played for my franchise, but man did he cook us and did he cook us often I mean between him and Stephen Curry I can't figure out which one of them relish playing the Thunder more his career high 56 came versus us and he just enjoyed killing our dreams I'm almost sure of it in all seriousness he was one of the few primary post players who showcased his true talent by adopting with the game and moved his game towards spacing and of course you know he still pulled out that from the left block that shot I think you know every time I saw him catch the ball in that position he's one of the few players where I just felt every single time before I even saw him getting get into his shot I felt like it was going that's how talented he was he, he was such an amazing player it's really sad how slept on he was for a good majority of his career I, I think Portland was definitely those were his days during that point in time you know the game fit more around what he was doing and he was a big part of that Portland Trailblazers or a big part of the Portland Trailblazer teams that competed a lot. Had a lot of turnover during that time, but he was one of those guys that was consistently there and always gave you everything that he had. And I just, it, it's definitely a sad break for the entire NBA community. Obviously, I, I'm happy that he's, you know, away from the game and is going to be able to prioritize his health. That is of the utmost importance in this kind of a situation, but I would be lying if I said that I'm not going to miss Marcus Aldridge a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, uh, Marcus Aldridge, especially his his Portland Trailblazers days, I'm pretty sure that's what most NBA fans will remember him from. I mean, he was on the the team that won their first 
playoff series in what I think it was it was 14 years when Dame hit the the leaning shot with the claps with a few ticks to go. One of the the most iconic shots. The Mark Soldiers are on that team, and he he's a part of Trailblazer history. Yeah, they haven't. He never won a championship, but he he's going to be one of the the great players that sadly was able never able to get that get that ring. Absolutely, definitely a sad break. But you know, I, I think everyone will agree that you know it was the right decision. And I, honestly, I never thought you know, seeing a player like him step away from the game that I'd be happy for them. Cause you know, usually as an NBA fan, you're extremely sad, but I'm definitely happy that he's going to be able to step away, prioritize his health. And I mean, he wants to be there and witness, you know, the, the things that his children do and things like that. And this was the right decision to be able to do that. So I hope that, you know, he's, I hope he gets healthy. I hope everything gets worked out. And, and obviously, you know, I wish nothing but the best for him and his future. And hopefully for us NBA fans, He'll stay pretty close to the game because uh, just, you know, the thought of not seeing him around a basketball court ever again is terrifying to me. I just think, you know, like I said, he was such a staple of this game. The sixth active score leading scorer in the entire league at the time he retired, it just kind of goes to show how big a big a part of this game he really, really was. Um, we do have one more story before we hop into our rookie roundup. This one will be a little it's definitely interesting, and I know Jason probably has more on this than I do, but uh, the Celtics signed Jabari Parker, and he was released by the Sacramento Kings. He was a free agent. He's going to the Celtics. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Jason, but I'm just going to start off. I love this signing. I've always really liked Jabari Parker. I think he has one of the saddest journeys of any player in the NBA at this point in his career. The injuries just never seem to cease with him. If I could give, I, it's kind of weird. My comp for him coming out of college was Grant Hill. And, and, you know, Grant Hill had a lot of good years before the injury started to catch up to him. Jabari Parker only really ever had one. He, he, people kind of forget it. He was a bucket for the Milwaukee Bucks. There was a point in time where everyone was talking about the future of the Milwaukee Bucks being Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jabari Parker. He, they made him the number two overall pick right behind Andrew Wiggins and like I said, those injuries never really allowed him to showcase his full potential. But in, for one year while he was in Milwaukee, he averaged 20 points a game and six rebounds. He has game. He's a very good player and has all the talent in the world. And I think if there's a situation where he could see where he could succeed, that is, I, I think it's with the Celtics. Yeah, him. Uh, I like you said, Jabari Parker's story is very sad. Never truly lived up to that second overall pick because of torn ACL after torn ACL. Went from Milwaukee, went to Chicago, went to Washington, went to Sacramento. He's just been to team after team after team. But in Sacramento this year, they don't really have – they have offensive scores. They have guys like Buddy Heald, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox. They don't really need that offensive presence. They need more of a, a defense kind of guy, and that's – not what Jabari Parker is at all. He's going to get you a bucket whatever way he can. Meanwhile, in Bo- in Boston, they don't really have a, a true scorer coming off their bench. They have Peyton Pritchard, but he's still a rookie. He's a, he's a decent scorer. He's a good spot-up shooter. But Jabari Parker fits in so well to that, that second unit because of how much defense is coming off that unit. And... 
it's just gonna gonna mesh so well. And I think Jabari's finally gonna find a spot in this league since the first year with Milwaukee. Absolutely. There, there's one thing that we can definitely say about Jabari Parker, and it's still even at this point with all the injuries that he that he's had, he still is a difficult matchup for fours around the league. He still, even after all of this, has that blend of, of size and speed that's just awkward for most fours in the league to deal with, especially in today's climate. Uh, he's still a really, really good athlete. I mean, even after all these injuries, it's just a testament to the level of athlete he was when he came into the league because he can still get up. He can still move really, really well. Obviously, the durability is a concern, but for a team like the Celtics that are just looking for something to put them a little bit over the edge, I think this is a perfect pickup. I think he's going to mesh right in really, really well hoping that he can stay healthy. And really for Jabari Parker, I'm hoping he can use this as a stepping stone. You know, obviously, you know, the Celtics fans, if he plays well, are going to want him back. But at the end of the day, as long as Jabari Parker can turn this into a contract to stay in the NBA, I would be very, very happy. It's felt like we have seen so little of him on the basketball court. It almost doesn't even feel real for him to be a second overall draft pick and have as little amount of time on the court as he's had. So, Hopefully he can just get some good games in, add something to this Celtics, you know, front court and, and just give them a little bit of a boost. I think he fits really, really well in what they need. And I hope for his sake and his for, and for his career's sake that he can figure things out in, in Boston. I, I think he will. I think he's finally found his spot. And I think Brad Stevens is going to find a way to use his skills to the best of his ability. Absolutely. Uh, but now hopping into the rookie roundup, and I, I've talked about this man before. That's Mr. Jay Sean Tate of the Houston Rockets. And for how bad Houston has been, Jay Sean Tate has been one of the the very few bright spots of that team. Him and him and Kenyon Martin Jr. have been the the main young bright spots. I mean. He had a huge 21-point outbreak against the Denver Nuggets just a, a few nights ago. And he showed off that he can shoot the three ball a little bit, shooting about, I think it was either two for five or one for three, something like that. He can he can hit the shot, which is really good to see from a guy of his athletic ability being able to stretch out the floor. It's going to be very, very nice. Absolutely. I have a different rookie for my rookie roundup. And this is a guy, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get the opportunity to, to bring him up in this segment, but I'm really glad that he's given me a reason. And that that's Isaiah Stewart, the, the power forward center tweener for the Detroit Pistons. Now, we all kind of know the situation that the Detroit has been in really all season long. And, and they've definitely been trying to bring along their young players and over his last three games, he's definitely really starting to put things together. Obviously, for one, the one that will really pop off the paper to you is the Oklahoma City game on Friday. He had 15 points and 21 rebounds to go along with two blocks as well. I, I've really, really liked Stewart. I thought he slept on for a lot of reasons that I didn't like going into the draft. I think for a player that works and plays as hard as Isaiah Stewart does, as long as they have an NBA body, you have really nothing to worry about. Those kind of players have very, very 
low floors in my mind. And, and that's kind of exactly what Isaiah Stewart has been proving. Just based off the way he plays on the court, you can tell he's got a good work ethic. You can tell he's a guy who just works hard, wants to get better. And that's become obvious. His last three games, he's increased his scoring in every single one, 12 to 15 to 19 points. And over that time, he's been getting more minutes than he's averaged all season. Obviously, you know, the course of this Pistons team is, you know, they're in rebuild. And obviously, they want to get their young players some minutes. But he's played more than his season average of 20 minutes in all of his last five games. And these last three performances in particular show that he could definitely be that center for that starting center for a good basketball team. And especially with just the way he plays the game, he's already shown that he's added the three point shot into his repertoire. And for me, uh, that's the kicker. I mean, that was the only thing was the, was he going to be able to even shoot a basketball at all? Cause he never really showed that ability at Washington, but already at this season, he's shooting 43%. Now he doesn't take a lot of attempts, but shooting 43% for a guy that you didn't even know if he'd be able to shoot in the NBA is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So a lot of people won't really notice what a lot of these guys for the Pistons are doing. Obviously, you and me, we scour every single box score, watch as many games as we possibly can to figure out who's playing well. And this one really jumped off the page for me. I don't think that Mason Plumlee or Jaleel Okafor are the the future for the front court of the Detroit Pistons. And that ball obviously falls a lot closer into Isaiah Stewart's court as he was one of the first three draft picks of their new GM last year so it's obvious that he's in the plans for the future and and getting play like this from him this early is really really promising Ooh, big news for the the nba draft prosper pools jalen suggs gonzaga guard has elected to go to the draft this year color me shocked i could not see that one i'm just kidding Oh, uh, but yeah, I, I'm a. I've been a big fan of Isaiah Stewart. I'm fine. I'm glad he's finally starting to get some some meaningful rotation minutes and be a part of that that Pistons rebuild that has been going on for God knows how long. <laughs> Seems like it's been going on for decades, but who knows? Kind of. Who bad. knows if it'll ever end? It's been going on since 2006. <laughs> <laughs> um, now. Let's get into who's hot. And there is one man who has been setting the league on absolute fire. Everyone knows who this is, Mr. Stephen Curry. Oh, I I don't even know where to start with Steph. Like, he's averaging 40 points a game in April. Basically, he's averaging 39.9 and hit a 53-point game. He's, I saw a stat on when I was scrolling through Twitter. And his past four games, I forgot which teams they were, but he's made more threes in the past four games than total te- than those four teams hit combined. <laughs> One man versus four NBA teams. Yeah, that's that's what Curry is capable of. I, I'm going to save a little bit of what I have to say about him because he's definitely going to be coming up for me a little bit later. But he's just been on one lately. And can we just go ahead and call this part of the season in particular, this game slate, this 
March, April, the, this kind of area. Can we just call this Stephen Curry's time? I mean, it feels like every year at this point, he comes in and just starts going crazy. Now, obviously, Stephen Curry is an amazing player. He'll have hot streaks all throughout the season. But it just feels like every time, once it starts to turn to spring a little bit, I don't know if it's that California weather or what, but he just starts playing different. And, yeah, to the tune of almost averaging 40 points is absolutely insane. He's been going off. I want to touch on a different team out in the West. And my team for who's hot is the Phoenix Suns. Now, I'm aware. I get it. Yeah. I'm aware that the Western Conference is loaded. But why has there been a criminally low amount of coverage on what's been the second best team in the Western Conference to this point? Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the whole Phoenix Suns team have been balling all season long. And a quick look top to bottom shows they could very easily push a lot of those top Western Conference teams. Outside of their stars, they still have Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, Torrey Craig, Dario Saric, and they're all great complimentary players. And their third star in DeAndre Ayton is about as good as a third star as you could possibly have with, you know, when you calculate in his ceiling. So for that reason, I'm really, really starting to like this Phoenix Suns team. I think that they have got to be one of the teams that is going to probably surprise a lot of teams this Western Conference playoffs. I, I don't think that they're going to be an easy out. They play their game all the time. And anytime you have a point guard – that is as savvy as Chris Paul, you, you're just almost salivating for the playoffs because you know, especially in that time when it's winning time, we saw what he did in the fourth quarter alone last year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We're seeing it again this season. Now, it's not as crazy as it was last year, but he's still their closer. Now, imagine having a guy with that kind of a mentality seven games in the playoffs. He knows exactly what it takes to win, and he a lot of times is good enough to be able to pull it off. So for that reason, I was out in the Western Conference. I would be kind of playing that game right now, losing a couple games, maybe trying to avoid this Phoenix Suns team because I have to think that teams in the Western Conference are probably more scared than I think the media coverage would let you think. Yeah, the the Suns are a, a scary, scary team. And coming into the season, I, I knew Chris Paul would have a – a really good effect on them, but never did I think it would push them to from a fringe playoff team to a two seed. But I mean, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. He he basically led that Thunder team to the playoffs. So when you have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, what what can you really expect? Yeah, I think we just gotta stop doubting Chris Paul. Uh, it's in a similar kind of manner to Stephen Curry. It feels like every time you are just about to maybe not forget, but just push them to the back of their mind, they start doing crazy things. And, and that's to me is the sign of a great point guard. They're not out there to, you know, just have these huge, incredible games. They're out here to win games. And yeah, once it all starts clicking and working in that way, then everyone starts paying attention. But it's just been a little weird to me how little coverage I feel like the Suns have been getting. Yeah, I, I hope they get some some more NBA league pass or even nationally televised games for the rest of the season. I don't think they I know they have one that I saw at the end of towards the end of April, mid May. 
But I hope they get a few more because Chris Paul is so much fun to watch. Absolutely. Um. Now my second, who's hot, still Mr. MVP in my eyes, Mr. Nikola Jokic. It is crazy to think that out of triple double leaders in the NBA this year, the only person ahead of Jokic is Westbrook. And we know what Westbrook is uh, is on pretty much 24-7. But, like, just thinking of a big man that is able to pass, rebound, score, defend. Like, Jokic isn't the greatest defender, but he he's phenomenal. Just a phenomenal player. Absolutely. And, like, uh, a 17-point triple-double, two 17-point triple-doubles in the past week. And then another almost 20-point triple-double. Like, this this man is just, I don't even know what to compare him to. Like, I don't think there is a, a true comparison for Jokic. I think he's just his own kind of demon. Yeah, it, it's that slippery slope. We always are want to, you know, come up with player comparisons. And I throw out player comparisons a lot just to try and give people an idea of how players kind of approach the game. But it's definitely important to remember that anytime you see a player comparison, you have to realize, you know, it's the same thing that we always kind of talk about. Like, as much as we think there will never be another KD, there will truly never be any other player in the NBA again. They could average the exact same same statistics over the entire course of their career. But even at that, you can't call them, you know, complete comparisons. No one ever plays the game the exact same way as anyone else. Everyone has different wrinkles, but you're, you're right. And I mean, Nikola Jokic is a different beast. He's one of these guys where, I, I mean, you really can't even find anyone in the realm that does what he does from the center position. I mean, I've never heard of a point center. It just was unheard of. And to watch him just dissect defenses all game long is insane. And he's also one of those players to me that is probably just right there with Luka Doncic with having some of the best touch in the league. He, They are both so good at hitting some of the toughest shots out there. And there's really never a shot that leaves Jokic's hand that I think it's impossible for him to make. Everything feels like it can really drop. And I'm talking the most insane shots. He could throw a shot over his head backwards, standing out of bounds from the other end of the court. And I think it was going in at least for a couple seconds. That's how well he's been playing this year. I think, you know, this MVP race has been um, basically dominated by him. I mean, we've been trying to make cases for other players anytime they play well, just because I kind of think it's how one side of the race has been all season. But it's got to be his award right now. I mean, he has played so fantastic for that Nuggets team, doing everything that's asked asked of him. Yeah, he's he's basically top ten in all of the the major statistical categories, leading the NBA and PER right now. And what's crazy is if the season ended today, he would be in the top ten of PERs of all time, up there with guys like Wilt, LeBron. Stephen Curry's magical seasons back in 2015-16. And, like, it's just crazy to think that Jokic went from a second-round pick to 
being arguably the best center in the league and could be one of the best centers of all time. Absolutely. He's definitely the likes that we have never seen in the NBA before, but hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm going to take us over to who's not. And, and to start off here, this is a player that a lot of people are probably going to be surprised that I'm even bringing up, but that's really the whole gist of this segment right here. And that, that's Jarrett Culver. The Timberwolves made Jarrett Culver the sixth pick in the 2019 draft. He played his college ball at Texas Tech and had that really, really nice um, March Madness run that kind of definitely boosted him up draft boards a good amount. And I, outside of Kevin Knox for the Knicks, I can't really think of another player in the entire league that's kind of fallen further from good from the good from their team's good graces than Culver. The play from others around him at his position has kind of pushed him down the depth chart. Obviously, it's never easy when your team adds a player like D'Angelo Russell, drafts a guy like Anthony Edwards, re-signs a guy like Malik Beasley, and then, oh, also has a defensive specialist in Josh Okogie uh, also on the team. So he's definitely in a, a, a pretty rough spot to even get that much minutes. But, you know, you have to just know that, especially with the way the NBA is going, you know, the Timberwolves probably have absolutely no problems with playing like four guards at the same way that, you know, most teams around the league don't really have that many problems playing four guards at certain points during the game. And so the fact that over his last five games, he's only played more than 10 minutes in one contest and hasn't scored more than five in any of those contests, it just really doesn't bode well. Um, the Timberwolves would obviously love for him to you know, put together some good games. And while they, I'm sure that he still has a good amount of potential and can definitely get better and play better than this, I'm, it's starting to look as though he's not in the long-term future of this Timberwolves team. But it still is weird because you'd also expect them to try and boost his value up a little bit, especially with the fact that they're not competing for anything. You know, they, they this is a team that is in acquire asset mode. It's, crazy as that may sound as many assets as they have but and they're basically kind of killing their chances to do that by playing him so little so it's definitely a messed up situation going on in Minnesota especially with Jarrett Culver but I mean if you aren't playing well enough you can't take the court and I mean his efficiency has left a lot to be desired up to this point in his career and my only hopes is that he can hopefully catch on with another team here in the next you know maybe year or so and try and rebound his career but the way things are looking right now he's got as good a chance of sticking in Minnesota as Kevin Knox does for the Knicks yeah I come into the draft and uh 2019 I I wasn't so high on the Jarrett Culver pick um and especially now since they drafted Anthony Edwards granted I think Edwards can definitely play more of that uh two guard role and even a a, a main ball handler role for the for the Timberwolves, but it 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 really confused me because they didn't have D'Lo at the point. I'm pretty, I can't remember if this was before or after the D'Lo trade. They did not have D'Lo at this point. They, I can't even remember who all was in the draft at that stage. But when you could go after a, a point guard, when you have a guy like Ricky Rubio still on the team, or maybe they didn't even have Rubio at that point. He was with Utah. You don't have a. They didn't have a point guard then. Why would you go after a guy who had 
a a good one good season in in college. That's that's the big thing. You can never with a a big pick like that when you don't really have too much around a, a superstar in Car Anthony Towns. Taking a shot like that, it, it's really risky, and then it shows that it has not paid off at all for for Minnesota. Yeah, um, and and just to clarify, they passed up on guys like Kevin Porter Jr., Keldon Johnson, Nasir Little, Darius Baisley, Ty Jerome, Brandon Clark, Matisse Thybul, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Sekou Dumboya, Tyler Hero, P.J. Washington, Cameron Johnson, Cam Reddish, Rui Hachimura, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes. So. Uh, there was definitely a good amount of players on the board that, you know, fit bigger needs for them. Uh, uh, they opted for, you know, the high riser through March Madness and Jarrett Culver. And he, I, I can understand there was a lot of hype around Jarrett Culver, uh, as there are with a lot of people. And I, I think we got a little bit caught up in the measurables surrounding him. I, I think the intrigue over a six foot six, six foot seven kind of guard forward hybrid was really, really intriguing, especially with you do have to, you know, calculate in his, his defensive potential. And I, I think that definitely helped him he, with that long wingspan that he has. I think he was definitely, you know, counted on being able to be uh, a three and D kind of a player, or at least, you know, a defensive wing at the very bare minimum. So to watch him kind of come in and really struggle to figure out his shot, I, I hate to say, but the writing was on the wall of all players drafted in that first round. He had the lowest free throw percentage of any player in that in that first round and I know inside of scouting bubbles free throw percentage is basically one of the highest determinants of three-point success at the next level um so he he didn't shoot the worst three-point percentage out of all those guys that got drafted but that free throw percentage definitely probably steered some other teams away the Timberwolves didn't get the message though I guess who knows what will happen with Culver but my first who's not. It's a, a bit of a, a niche pick. But Trey Young has not been shooting well from beyond the arc. It I I know people are gonna be looking at his his season stats like, oh he's he's not doing terrible. He's shooting like thirty four percent, thirty five percent. That's not terrible. Trey Young was meant to come to the league, be like he he's compa- he was compared to Steph Curry for God's sake, but in in the month of April, he's had two games where he shot over fifty percent from three. That's a that's good. He's had three games where he shot zero percent. That's very very bad for this Hawks team when your main ball handler and your main scorer cannot do what he's mostly paid to do. Yeah especially Trey Young coming into the league, we were so, so, so enamored with that, with that shooting from distance. And I saw him as more complete than I think other people saw him. I I really wasn't worried about the size. I knew, you know, basically throughout the entirety of his career, you would never be able to count on him as a defender. But to me, honestly, in, in that point in time, watching the way that he could handle the rock, create looks for others, and also get his own shot from downtown any kind of way that he wanted. I thought he was a complete enough offensive player to kind of minimize that 
you know, defensive deficiency that, you know, you could see was obviously going to come with him. I mean, it was obvious the same thing was present in even college. You know, he, he wasn't really, he just doesn't have a frame to be able to defend a lot of guys. And especially now when you're talking about in the, in the NBA, tasked with defending some of the best guards we arguably have ever seen in the league is no easy task. And for that to succeed for him, he's going to have to have a team built around defensive success at really probably almost every other position. You're going to have to have good, at least good two-way players to help minimize what he's going to cost you on that end of the court. But to, you're, you're right. I mean, to watch him at this point in the season and to know that his best aspect on offense, his long ball is not falling. It really hurts him. I mean, and 43% from the field is, is his average this season. That's not terrible. 35% is not bad either. I love the 87 from the line, but it's just for a team like Atlanta that saw all the flashes before and really rushed their rebuild to completion because of how well he, him and, and John Collins and, also just a host of young assets they had that they tried to rush this rebuild in. It, it's gone okay. I mean, they've definitely underwhelmed at this point. And, you know, it's not what a lot of us expected. They were one of the most trendy teams coming into this season because of all the moves that they made. But if he's not able to get that three-point shot falling a little bit better, it's not going to help him at all in any other facet of the game because he's not a player that, you know, can succeed with his inside ability first. His three-point shot opens up a lot of other shots for him and a lot of other shots for other people. So, I mean, that threat is still very real, and it is still there. Teams are still scared of him shooting the three-point ball. But for how much longer? You know, teams catch on to these kind of things. And if you hit a lull like this, it doesn't look good, especially at this point of time in the season where, the Hawks are, you know, it's still not a given that they're going to be in the playoffs. I think they'll definitely be in the, at least the play in, but they're going to need better play from Trey Young. Yeah. Um, well, right now they are fit at the, the fifth seed for, for the Eastern Conference, which isn't terrible. They're a game back from the, the Boston Celtics, but the Celtics are going on an absolute run right now and could possibly reach the third seed if Milwaukee doesn't keep their stride together, but I I don't know. Like Trey Young will have a fantastic game shooting from beyond shooting from three and then go over four, over five, or one for six. Like it it doesn't make sense to me. And those are the kind of things that really come back to bite you in the ass over the course of a seven game series. You know, I mean, yeah, you inconsistency is just part of the game. Your shot doesn't always fall, and you even have bad months at times. It's just the nature of basketball. Sometimes it's just not your day, and sometimes it's just not your month. But for Trey Young, you know, the guy for this Atlanta Hawks team, to me, you know, with that being the case, there's a higher standard. And at that point, you know, you're kind of expected to be able to handle the load and, and carry your team on a game-to-game -game basis. And in the playoffs – Four bad games, which, like you said, I mean, it's kind of his theme right now to have a good game, then a bad game, a good game, then a bad game. If he starts off with a bad game, that, that could realistically sink their chances of winning a series. So for him, especially as their best player, he, I, we definitely want to see him pick up his consistency, at least before we get into this, you know, postseason slate. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he can. Do you have any uh, anybody else for who's I, not? 
I do have one team that has been a little disappointing, and that that's the New Orleans Pelicans. They just fell out of the play-in tournament for right now. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs currently have the 10th seed. And looking at the Pelicans' schedule, they have some some tough, tough games to finish out the season. I mean, they got Brooklyn. They got to play both LA teams. They got to play Denver. OKC's not an easy matchup. You got to play Philly. And then you got to play Golden State three times. That's not fun. Yeah, it, it is not fun. And the the weirdest thing to me about it has been that they've gotten better play from some players on their team, but it hasn't really helped them. Now, I will say the backcourt attrition is very apparent. They've been without Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander for a good bit of time now. Those two guys in particular definitely hurt their team. Um, also, including Lonzo Ball, who's been out for a little while. So, I mean, those are three of your primary guards who haven't been able to even play lately. And and I think Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball in particular, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker can give you a good game, but really he was kind of used sparingly. And when he'd have a good night, they, they'd give him some more run. But for those other two guys, I mean, Lonzo Ball was, is the starting point guard of this of this basketball team. Missing him is never easy even as his inconsistency kind of comes in ebbs and flows. But Josh Hart is really kind of one of those heart and soul kind of players. And so missing him, I think, has had a really, really big effect on this team. And it's been weird, like I said, also, because at the same time, Eric Bledsoe has really, really stepped up and been playing great basketball for this team. Steven Adams has looked a lot closer to Oklahoma City Steven Adams, and I've seen him look all season. And Zion Williamson is still a bull in a china shop knocking over whoever it takes to get to the bucket and dunk the ball. So uh, for that reason, it, it's definitely weird. And uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of a mess, but we all expected more from this Pelicans team. And the fact that, like I said, we've they've been getting so much good play from a lot of the players that we figured would have to play well for them to do good this season. It's weird to see them still not getting the wins they need. And Another thing that they probably didn't want to see was how much Zion Williamson loved playing in Madison Square Garden. It, I mean, if you looked at it, he looked like a guy who had his wife in the room and was talking about the most beautiful girl he's ever seen. He kind of just threw New Orleans out there like that. I mean, he could not stop cheesing the whole time he was talking about Madison Square Garden and all of the rumors and everything are already swirling hours after that interview about Zion wants to go to the Knicks, Zion wants to do this, Zion wants to do that. I'm sure that can't be easy for uh, Pelicans fans to hear, but it's just the nature. And there's not a lot of good going on, not a lot of good going on with the Pelicans right now. But I I want to see them in the play-in. If the NBA does anything like they did last year, it's probably apparent that they'll do whatever it takes to help get Zion in because they know the money that comes along with that. But um, they're going to have to earn it at the end of the day. And right now they are simply not getting it done as a team. Yeah, hopefully they're they able to turn it around soon because Zion is a fun guy to watch and not seeing him in the playoffs would, would suck a lot. Time for your performance of the week? Uh, yes, the, the first of my two. I mean, the guy is Joel Embiid. 
it's just which performance do you take from the week? I mean, he had three 30-plus 30, 30 games. The one I chose is against the Brooklyn Nets, uh, I believe it was two or three nights ago. The I found this one the most impressive because of his his shooting. He did, he wasn't exactly the the best from the mid range, but he showed off that he has a three ball and he shot ten of eleven from the free throw line, uh, with the thirty nine and thirteen game. Like Embiid and Jokic are the two best big men in the league. They just have two completely different play styles, and I love both of their play styles. Uh, Embiid is more of that that back you down post kind of guy, but is able to stretch the floor from time to time, which is is really good because. If you're a big man in this league and you can't really stretch the floor, you're not exactly too much of an offensive threat. Uh, cough, cough, Rudy Gobert. But, like, Embiid, this game was phenomenal. And then Tobias Harris behind him with 26. Like, other than that, they didn't really have anyone scoring. So Embiid really basically put the team on his shoulders and, and led them to a win against this this Nets team that, only had Kyrie, but still, like, Embiid had a, a fantastic game that I had to speak on. Absolutely. And that was just a good game in general. Uh, him and, and, yeah, the Nets were shorthanded, but that they don't play the same position. But watching him and Kyrie Irving just kind of go at it, crazy bucket after crazy bucket, was so fun to watch, especially just given how different players they are. You, I feel like you really got to see the two ends of the spectrum of, what super skilled players look like with different skill sets. I thought that was really, really awesome to watch. For me, my performance of the week, you can probably guess it. It's a boring one, but I had to talk about Stephen Curry, what he did versus Denver on Monday. 53 points, six rebounds, four assists, 10 of 18 from three, and 15 of 16 from the free throw line. I mean, it's kind of criminal. I realized that I had haven't talked about Stephen Curry on this podcast, I don't think up until this point, that's criminal. It can't happen. So I'm going to have to give him the love that he deserves. Last week, Curry played in one contest in which he didn't score 40 points or more. Just take a second and think about that. A majority of NBA players would be happy to score 40 points in one game over the course of their career. Curry is not a majority of NBA players. He's shooting the ball as incredibly as we've probably ever seen him do it in his career I mean we've seen him catch fire before but there's just something about this one that feels different he's in a different zone right now I mean we've heard other warriors like uh, Draymond Green talk about you know not caring about the play-in game and how little it matters to them and how stupid they think it is but based off of what we've been seeing from Stephen Curry I think it's safe to say he cares a good amount and he wants to be playing in the postseason so it's become apparent that he's willing to do literally whatever it takes. And if it's going to take 50 points, he seems up to the task the way he's been playing lately. Also, I have to say, with that game against Boston, Steph, screw you for making my man Peyton Pritchard look absolutely dumb with that and one three. I absolutely hate that. Like, how do you go from a shooting form, bring it under, throw it, and you still get the the bucket and the foul. How? And that was left-handed, if I if I can remember the shot correctly. Like, I don't understand. Like his, 
how he's able to shoot the ball from anywhere and any form, like his his shot off the dribble, it's the most like it's an ugly form. I can't lie. It's not the prettiest form, but it goes in ninety percent of the time. Well, like, it seems like he'll he'll just so, chuck it up. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and the crazy thing about it is you watch his shot and yeah. It looks like a lot of times his shot changes from shot to shot basis, but I can promise you, if you watch closely, the only thing that's ever changing is everything other than his arms. He does the exact same motion every single time. That hand-eye coordination and muscle memory that that takes is incredible, especially, like you said, given the nature with which he can shoot the ball however he wants, running left, running right, stepping back. Anyhow, he gets his shot off the same way at the very top of his release, but independent of whatever is going on below his hips. To me, that is one of the most insane things about it because you see a lot of guys, I mean, they won't even take a shot unless they can get their feet set in their shooting position. Stephen Curry could probably shoot the ball backwards. It's just that insane of how good he can get his arms and his shot into the right motion without anything else being, you know, what you would say is your typical shot. Yeah, no, Steph's Steph's ability to basically lean and still have his arms straight is crazy. Oh, and now on to my last performance. I got to speak on the man, Mr. Julius Randle. Oh, that, that game against Dallas. I don't even know what to say. He just said, everyone move. The ball is mine. I am dropping 40 tonight. And almost put up a triple-double along with it. Like, I know, I will know a lot of people will say Julius Randle deserves um, most improved player. I don't think he does because he's had very, very good seasons. Um, he had a good season, a, a decent season last year in New York, and he had a phenomenal season the year before that in New Orleans. So it's not like he's had a, a huge production. Uh, jump. Jump, yeah. But still, like, he's never had – I don't think he's really ever had games like this. And he did it in his hometown in Dallas. That's that's the craziest part. He just – he said, I'm going home. I'm dropping 44 in front of my, my hometown. That's That's insane. No, yeah, I mean, we've seen more than a few outstanding performances from Julius Randle this season, but he's another one of those guys that just kind of continues to wow me. This this would be the case that I would make as to why I think maybe Julius Randle should be in the conversation. Now, I'm not saying I'm kind of with you. He, he's a he's weird because, like you said, he's played insanely well before in his career, but over the course of a, of a season outside of that year for the Pelicans. And in and, and that season, he did play really, really well. But overall, that team was really a mess. Um, I, I can believe, if I'm correct, I believe this was the year with the whole Anthony Davis situation. So he, yes. he had a lot of room to do whatever he really wanted. And, and with that, obviously, came the points. But this year is the first year I've seen him take his game to a level and do things that I never thought he would be comfortable doing on a basketball court. He always kind of looked like a, a bigger Zion. Now, he didn't go up and attack the rim the way Zion did, but just physically, he used his force 
to get inside and basically force his way into good looks and easy shots. This year, I've been seeing him expand his game a lot more. The three-point shot is a real threat from Julius Randle now. Now, last year, he definitely brought that that aspect of his game along more so than we'd seen. But this year, he, he's almost a sniper out there. He's a really good shooter this year. And also just shooting off the dribble, shooting from uncomfortable situations. I mean, we just talked about it with Stephen Curry, and now we're talking about it from Julius Randle. Now, he's not doing it the way Curry does. Don't, don't twist my words from me. But to see him do that at six feet eight, what, 200 and I'm going to say 50? That sounds like a generous number for him. Um, it is absolutely insane. His offensive repertoire has expanded so, so much this year. And that would be the one case I would make. Yeah, there's not the big jump in production, but I think he does probably deserve to at least be in the running for it, just based off of, like I said, kind of what the product we've been seeing on the court and, and how that has evolved. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying he's not in the running for it. He definitely is. But if there's a guy who like had a huge production jump, then I'm just saying then I don't think Randall should deserve it in, in that case that's valid and it that's how it normally works you know it's going to be hard on paper to justify a jump in a few points per game over a guy who went from averaging four points per game last year and is now averaging 16 like it it just it doesn't look as good on paper for most improved but he definitely deserves the votes that he's going to get because he's been fantastic all season long yes um also the way this man's able to dribble at six eight it's it's deceiving. You think, oh, he's not going to be a great dribbler. Man broke Maxi Kleber's ankles. He had him stumbling. Like it's it's weird. It's it's Julius Randle was one of the most weird players in the NBA. And that's what makes it fun to watch. There's not a lot of guys in the NBA that can do exactly what he does. I, I well, I'm, actually, we'll stop you right there. There's nobody in the league that has the full package the way that Randle does. I mean. His game is just so versatile, and especially, like you said, the way he's been handling the ball, it's been awesome, especially just to watch, you know, how much of a free reign he has in New York and how ready he was to take on that task has been so, so fun to watch. New York has been looking for a player that they could, you know, really have be their star and be their guy, and I don't think Julius Randle will be able to do it alone, but New York is very, very happy with what they've been getting from him this season, and if you don't mind, I got a couple of games of the week that I want to talk about before we get off here. That is fine with me. All right. So this is a this is a two-for-one package deal right here. This is one of the only times you'll ever see this. And these are going to be two very, very important games. They're both going to be televised for you. So you don't really have any excuses to not tune in unless you're busy, obviously, which then check out the YouTube highlights at the very least because these games are going to have big implications. Now, this is going down Thursday, the 22nd, and Saturday, the 24th, between the 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks. And thanks to the great play last week from the 76ers, they're currently three games up on the rest of the Eastern Conference. Securing the number one seed would basically ensure that they only have to get through one of the Bucks or the Nets. Now, there's a lot of teams that are going to be, you know, scary to play in the Eastern Conference playoffs, but at least with the way that things are looking right now, we can on paper definitely say that the next, the Nets, Bucks, and 76ers are the cream of the crop right now. And so if the 76ers could guarantee themselves a position where they only have to play one of those teams to make it out of the Eastern Conference, that would be huge. And so 
these two games back-to-back versus the Milwaukee Bucks on the 22nd and the 24th are going to go a huge way in figuring out if the 76ers are really going to be able to claim that top spot in the East. And like I said, this is that kind of, that's that part of the season where implications start coming in. And I guarantee you both of these games have been circled by both of these teams for a couple of weeks now. They've been looking forward to this one. And I expect a couple of great games. It's going to kind of feel that with the back-to-back, like, like a playoff series before we even get there and, and watching two teams, the caliber of both of them, is going to be outstanding. There's tons of stars taking the court in this one. So many good storylines to watch. And obviously, you know, we've got the huge one of this playoff situation out in the East that we need to resolve. This is going to be a really, really fun one to watch. Yeah, that that Philadelphia-Milwaukee game, games are, are going to be fantastic. Uh, both are in Milwaukee, so no traveling back and forth. A game that I'm really excited to watch is on Friday night, 10 p.m. Denver versus Golden State. It's going to be on ESPN. Let's see if Stephen Curry can continue this this absolute hot streak he's on right now. Like he had, they also a game tonight. Um, I don't know if this will be out before this game truly starts, but Golden State versus Philadelphia. That's gonna be another another good game to watch. Just to be able to see what Stephen Curry can do and see if. If Philadelphia is able to stop a, a guy like Stephen Curry. Uh, maybe we should just go ahead and submit a revision to the second half schedule and just get the opportunity to watch Stephen Curry and Nikola Jokic play all of the top teams in the entire league by themselves. I think that would be a great thing to watch, just given the way that both of them have played. But if you get the opportunity to watch either one of them this next week, you have to jump at the opportunity. And they're playing each other. Do I need to remind you what my performance of the week was? 53 points versus Denver? Oh, man, I, this is going to be a good one. It'll be so interesting to watch how Nikola Jokic comes out. You don't think – he's never really been one of those guys that I, I can say, like, it looks like he's chasing stats. But if there was one game where he might have a little bit of an extra incentive to drop a nuke on a team, it's probably going to be Golden State after he watched Stephen Curry go for 53. So – we could watch two of the league's best scores just go at it all night long, and that is a awesome proposition. Yes, it's going to be. It's a fantastic week of basketball. Anytime it's on, I hope you all have been enjoying this this NBA season and enjoying coming to listen to us every, every once in a while, uh, about once a week, and just hearing us talk about basketball because it, it's what we love to do. If basketball isn't really your thing, though, we do have some exciting news that we will officially announce right now, and that is that on the 29th for the NFL draft, the first round for sure, we're going to be doing a live stream on Twitch. Now, we, we don't have the Twitch account exactly set up quite yet, but we're going to get it all set up, and we are so, so excited to give you guys our first ever live coverage from Hot Takes from the Berg. It's a really, really exciting moment. I can't wait to interact with you guys over the course of the first round of the NFL draft. It's one of my most exciting. It's one of the most exciting points of the year to me. I love all the drafts. I love all the preparation that goes in before the drafts and actually watching those picks unfold. That's what all of these months of talk and speculation have been leading to. So to watch these guys finally hear their name called is going to be an awesome time. And this is one of the, 
the most charged. I don't I don't know the right word to exactly call it, but I think charged is a good one. Draft classes I've seen in a long time. I, I think we all think that we know what's going to happen. At least I've seen people up until now thinking that they know pretty much exactly how the first 12 picks are going to go down. And I don't think that's the case. I think there's going to be a lot of draft day movement. A lot of crazy things are going to go down. If you want to be there to see who your team is going to pick and to see what we think about it, you're going to have to join us on Twitch on the 29th and watch our breakdown of this NFL draft live as it happens, guys. We are so, so excited for this. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram account or our personal Instagram accounts as well. And we'll be happy to clear any of that up, but you guys will definitely hear more as we know more. And this will probably lead off our next podcast. So you guys will have another opportunity to get some more information about this. But like I said, we're just, I, at least me, I know I'm shaking with excitement over this. This is something I'm very much so looking forward to. Yes, it is going to be a, a very fun time next Thursday night. Um, the most exciting time of the NFL offseason. Hell, I don't think anyone truly knows who's going to be going first overall. Jacksonville could switch it up on us. Oh, that Urban Meyer-Ohio State connection, maybe? <laughs> who knows? But... With that, I've been your host, Jason Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time.